Welcome in everybody to Frogs Insider. This is the TCU branded podcast for Dave Campbell's Texas Football, the Republic of Football Network. I am Jamie Plunkett. You are Melissa Trebowasser. And I am. we're back. This is this is getting a little ridiculous. Yeah, at this it's like point. we never left. It's people are gonna think it's a bit. <laughs> it uh, might just, be. It feels uh, like it sometimes. Like a ten year bit. Nothing wrong with yeah. with playing the long game, right? Uh, but yeah, so uh, this is this is a new show that Melissa and I will be doing weekly. Um, we'll have guests. We'll have uh, folks across the Republic of Football Network come on when we're doing previews and and whatnot. Um, but really cool opportunity, Melissa, for us to hop back into the podcast studio together, keep talking about the frogs like we've done for so long. Uh, and be a part of arguably the most reputable network of college and high school athletics in the great state of Texas. Yeah, I mean, even as a native Californian, it didn't take me many, many months in the state of Texas to realize who Dave Campbell's was and what that meant to just football across the Lone Star State. And um, to be able to put my name and your name and our name together with next to Dave Campbell's, it honestly would be a lot more impressive if the Between the Two Bears guys hadn't got there first. But you and, know, gambling gauchos, but and gambling we'll... gauchos, but you know, it's, it, it, it really is a cool thing that they're doing. This is an awesome opportunity to cover college football in the state of Texas. I'm in a really unique and really personal way. And to be the TCU brand for that, it's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, it really is. And very excited that uh, Mike Craven and Ish Johnson and the whole squad over there at Dave Campbell's thought of us when they thought of this. So uh, very thankful to them. Very thankful to uh, Dave Campbell's and, and their their kind of family uh, behind this this organization for for taking a chance on us and on this idea. Uh, the Republic of Football Network, for those that don't know, is a network of podcasts covering every D one university with a football program in the state of Texas. They're still working <clears throat> on getting some of these schools uh, in and up and running and started. So we're kind of in the middle of this really cool growth process with Dave Campbell's and the Republic of football network. Uh, But I believe with TCU now with us coming on board, they have every power five school locked into the network, which is pretty awesome. I think we're school number 10 here that's happened, mm-hmm. maybe number 11, um, which is pretty awesome. Like you said, every Power 5, because SMU still isn't a Power 5, despite all the flirtation with the Pac-12, and they don't <laughs> have a show yet, because who wants to spend that much time talking about uh, SMU football, I guess, but... Shout out to Joe Hoyt over at the Dallas Morning <laughs> Joe, News Joe is doing for that the labor Lord's of work. love covering yeah. SMU football. Um, proud of him. Love his work. If you don't follow him on Twitter, obviously yeah, follow great. Joe. Yeah, great Joe's guy. great. Um, but beyond him, there are no, as far as I know, SMU folks involved in athletics, yeah, frankly. They don't at all. exist. Yeah, they um, don't exist. So, but uh, we're going to get this going. This podcast will release once a week. We're recording this on Sunday evening. This will go out on Monday morning. You can also find some more of our writing and our work at Frogs Insider on Patreon. So if you want to go over there, you'll see that site getting up and running this week as well. Frogs Insider on Patreon.com. Melissa and I will be dropping our thoughts. We might have some guests coming by there as well and writing some stuff for us in the coming weeks. Um, But that is three bucks a month. And that is because we don't really care too much about making money on this, obviously, because we worked for SB Nation for so long. Yeah. Um, 
but we just want to provide you guys with really good coverage of TCU athletics. Three bucks a month helps cover some of the expenses of doing that. Um, we both are, are, you know, we're finding work elsewhere. We're doing great um, outside of outside of doing this. We just want to be able to to provide you guys with what we've provided for so long. And so now that's going to look a little bit like this. So patreon.com slash frogs insider. You can find this podcast frogs insider anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, pay, Spotify, Apple, I don't even know the other ones because I'm an old person. Uh, now. Uh, Amazon has a podcast network apparently <laughs> cool. now. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Great. So. Some of those apps that just, you know, mm-hmm. bring it all into one thing for people, which sure. seems pretty easy and awesome at this point too. Pocket casts, I believe is one, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but that's all the podcast business we're going to do for this. The first episode of Frogs Insider, part of the Republic of Football Network at Dave Campbell's Texas football. Melissa, we have a lot of TCU stuff to talk about. So let's jump in. Let's start with basketball. Men's hoops was eliminated in the round of 32 from the NCAA tournament a little over a week ago at this point, um, as we're, you know, preparing now for the final four, which is a just absolutely bananas final four of San Diego state, so fun. Florida, Atlantic, Miami, and Yukon, just like everyone predicted in their brackets. Yeah. Um, but TCU fell in the round of 32 to Gonzaga, 84 to 81. Uh, they covered thanks to a last second half court shot from Damian Ball, where uh, all those folks who make really smart decisions with their money is, when it comes to gambling uh, decided to let him hear, hear about it on social media. Yeah. But Melissa, when you think about this year's basketball team, finishing sixth in the regular season in the Big 12, getting bounced in the semifinals of the big 12 tournament for the second time in a row, second year in a row, and now getting bounced in the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament for the second year in a row. How would you evaluate? Like, is this season, let's just start here. Is this season a success? Could we consider the season a success for TCU basketball? I mean, I think you can consider the season a success and a disappointment at the same time. Right. I mean, when you came in with the, the hype that the Horn Frogs had, you have the preseason big 12 player of the year, you returned basically every single piece from a team that was a, a swallowed whistle away from making a sweet 16 um, and expectations to finish in the top third of the big 12 conference. And then things get derailed for a variety of reasons. It's hard to fully look back and say, yeah, this was the TCU basketball season that we thought we would and could have and should have. Um, that certainly isn't the case, but you have to look too at all the circumstances around why. I mean, you had Damian Baum miss the six, first six games of the season. You have Mike Miles dealing with injuries yet again. You have the situation with Eddie Lampkin leaving the team ahead of the Big 12 tournament. We saw this team when it was at its best perform at an extraordinarily high level and look like a team that could make a run to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. Um, I don't think any TC fan will forget that performance in Lawrence and beating Kansas by 23 points and on the road. But when you see those great highs and then you see the lowest of lows, it's really hard to look back and say, yeah, I got out of that TC basketball season what I what I was hoping to. And that kind of met my expectations. Uh, they battled against Gonzaga. They looked really, really good at times. But at the end of the day, I think the, the Zags just kind of overwhelmed them, especially inside. Uh, Drew Timmy got whatever he wanted down the stretch because there wasn't an Eddie Lampkin or a, a similar player. So um, was it a success? I mean, it's hard to say it was a success. Everybody but one team ends with a loss, but I think we all expected TCU to play at least one more weekend. Was it a failure? I wouldn't say that either. I think it kind of falls somewhere in between. Um, you know, I think the one thing that I'm going to look back on primarily is that there were some serious holes in this roster that didn't get addressed. And part of that was a little bit out 
out of Jamie Dixon's control because everybody came back, but you would have liked to have seen them add a shooter, maybe add another interior presence. But when you don't have space on the roster to do so, it's hard Mm -hmm. to complain. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I think it does kind of land in that purgatory somewhere for me as well. I was really hopeful because of everybody returning that they were going to be able to make a deep run. They kind of bracketology is a funky business. And especially in a season like this, where clearly the the bracketology experts, the committee that pulls all that together, they were doing a lot of work to try and figure things out. And now we've we're sitting here ahead of a final four where it's the second highest total number uh, when you add up everybody's seating ever in the history of the tournament. And since they've started seating uh, things and since 1979, it's the first time in history that no one seed made it past the sweet 16, right? It, just all of the craziness of this year. Um, they got put in a, in a region that was very challenging, right? Yeah. Kansas, Arkansas, Gonzaga, Yukon, who uh, is probably, probably the clear favorite to win it all at this point. Um, <clears throat> it's a challenge. UCLA in, in that bracket as well. That was probably the most stacked bracket uh, in a stacked region in the bracket. Um, but to come in to, uh, conference tournament time and not have a guy like Eddie Lampkin because of all of the controversy and all of, all of the stuff that happened leading up to big 12 tournament week where he was on the team. Uh, all of a sudden he wasn't on the team. You know, we broke that news uh, to talk about, you know, he wasn't in Kansas city. Why wasn't he in Kansas city? Well, he's actually left the team to deal with some personal matters. We've, we've seen the tweets. We've seen the Instagram posts that he deleted. We've seen uh, the, Supposed texts between his mother and Coach Dixon and texts between him and another coach on the staff. And suffice it to say, um, I hope that Eddie Lampkin lands in a really good spot for Eddie. I hope that Eddie Lampkin has a successful remainder of his college career. But it was clear that there were some things happening at TCU that just he could not deal with. And whether that's on the coaches, whether that's on him, whether that's on the culture, whatever it might be, ultimately, at the end of the day, my hope is that Eddie Lampkin is healthy, that he gets help yeah. that he needs uh, and that he gets to finish his, his basketball career because he is an incredible entertainer. He is that energizer bunny that everybody loves that a student section somewhere will latch on to and um, just adore like they did at TCU for, for three seasons. Um, but, you know, we also talked to a lot of folks inside the program who strongly, strongly, strongly pushed back against some of those accusations mm-hmm that were coming Jamie Dixon's way. Um, But when you have a team that you have built in a certain way and you have this level of expertise and you have a guy like Eddie, who is a a focal point, especially when you are on defense um, for the athleticism that he brings and the rebounding effort that he gives. um, And then all of a sudden he's just not there. You know, it's really hard to to change course so quickly. And I want to commend Xavier Quirk and especially Jacoby Coles. Yeah for bearing the brunt of that, of Eddie's absence, because those two guys all of a sudden were like, were just handed something that they were not expecting at all. And, you know, we had heard coming into the year about Xavier Cork and how well he was performing and how well he was coming on. Uh, The reality is though, is, is they were still expecting 25 minutes a game from Eddie Lampkin. And when you all of a sudden have to fill 25 minutes a game with Xavier Cork and Jacoby Coles and Suleiman Dumbia, that changes what you're capable of doing on the defensive side of the ball and on the offensive side of things. 
And so but, a guy like Drew Timmy can just come in and yeah. eat your lunch. And when I, I think of a bigger body like Eddie had been there, like you said, maybe that isn't the case. Well, and neither of those guys are the same type of defensive player. You know, they're mm-hmm. more of the stretch four variety. I mean, Cork's not really as much of a stretch, but he's he's not, you know, this the 6'10, 6'11 guy that weighs, you know, 250 pounds. He's he's pretty small for a five. Um, and so it, you know, it was hard not to watch San Diego State and not think, man, like TC really could have used a Jaden Ladie at <laughs> you know, once once Eddie uh had, had left the team, but um, he's living his best life in San Diego and, and playing in a final four. So good for him. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. You know, you're, you're going to get some defections. You're going to get some transfer portal stuff. You're going to have a, 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 at least, you know, two or three of these guys probably going pro. So Jamie Dixon's going to be able to rebuild this roster on the fly. And we've, we, he's proven that he can get into the portal and bring guys that fit. Um, what's the number one thing you're kind of hoping TCU addresses this off season? Well, I think that this is an opportunity for them to really start to to reconstruct the roster with some young talent because you've got, like you said, some guys that are deciding whether or not they're going to go pro based on the conversations that I've had with folks. I'm fully expecting Mike to to go and to try again, just like he did last year. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there would be an expectation of him potentially returning again, like around this time last season when we were having these same conversations, but he does have another year, year of eligibility anything can happen in this sport as we've seen. So I wouldn't fully rule it out, but I'd say it's 99% likelihood that Mike miles has played his last game as a horn frog. When it comes to Damian Baugh and Emmanuel Miller, I've been told they're, they're kind of 50, 50, right? I, I don't know that either of those guys have fully proven uh, to league officials, to, to draft experts, to whoever, even G league folks that they are capable of playing in that league on a, on a daily basis. Um, and so there's a, there's a chance, you know, I I love both of those guys dearly. I've really enjoyed getting to know them over the last two seasons. And I think that they are capable, that they do have the raw talent to be able to do that. Have they shown enough on tape yet? Uh, a lot of people are saying they haven't. And so there's still a decision to be made for both of those guys about where they're going to end up, whether that's testing the draft waters, playing overseas, or coming back for another year. PJ Haggerty is in the transfer portal as well. The one signee from the 2022 class for TCU. Um, So there's a lot up in the air. They do have Jace Posey coming in. They have Isaiah Manning coming in, signed to the 2023 class already. Both of those guys are capable individual scorers who should be able to to step onto the court and, and do some good stuff right away. But what you're surrounding those guys with as far as some older guards, some older big men from the transfer portal, all of that is yet to be seen. And because of the time of year that it is, we're going to see a lot of news about TCU talking to people, a lot of news about TCU being really interested in folks, but we're not going to get some concrete facts for probably two, three weeks about who's actually going to come in and be a part of this roster next season. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting when, you know, you talk about Mike and, and Damian and two guys that kind of play similar positions and, and similar styles. Damian has the size that the NBA covets at that point guard position, but maybe doesn't have the outside shot ability or the the defensive tape. Um, whereas Mike, everybody loves Mike's game, but mm-hmm. I'm really going to be interested to see how much his size becomes a knock on him. Um, as I've been following the NBA a little bit closer than I normally do because the Kings are actually really good. <laughs> 
Um, and so Breaking suddenly I news. care again. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, a, a Minnesota lost when we record this or a win tomorrow night against the Timberwolves from clinching their first playoff berth in 16 years. Um, and so I've talked to a lot more NBA people um, and, and everybody kind of seems to think that 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 Boz the guy, but it's because they don't know Mike as well. And they don't know how hard he's going to work. They just know that he can't overcome the fact that he's probably going to measure in at like six one or so um, at the the pre-draft if, combine. Uh, if, 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 if he's lucky. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, I think it, I, I think you're right, though. I, if you're Mike Miles, you've done this once before. What can you gain from coming back again? He can't prove anything more on the court. He can't change, you know, his his size whatsoever. And so mm -hmm. um, go. I think he'll there's no doubt he'll be a, he can he can be successful in the G League if that's where he ends up with the two way. And maybe he can be one of those instant offense guys off the bench at the next level. I think my guess is. Damian Baugh and Mike Miles go pro. E-Man comes back. That's kind of my my gut mm -hmm. instinct off off the uh, off uh, at this point in the off season at least. But a lot can change over the next few weeks. Yeah, I could I could see that. I mean, Damian Baugh also has to consider the fact that he's trying to support his daughter, and yeah. and you know that that obviously is going to make yeah. a, a huge impact. That's why he tested the draft waters last year as well. Yeah, uh, I will say this. This is a little bit of a fun fact. There are two players currently in the NBA who are shorter than five eleven. Mm -hmm. That's it. Wow. And you've seen pictures of me standing next to Mike Miles. Yeah. And I'm six, I'm six yeah. foot three. So yeah. um, there are a couple inches of a difference there. I've, I'd say he probably measures in somewhere between 5'11 and six feet, wow. if I had to guess. Um, but again, you look at his just his overall like body build. He's yeah. very strong. Mm -hmm. He's very strong for a shorter guard. He's still pretty stocky. Can he hand up to the physical rigors of, of a league season? I don't know. He's been banged up the last two years yeah. quite a bit, but at the same time, I haven't seen a, a, a guy at the college level with a, a faster burst yeah. of speed than Mike miles. Totally. And you can't, you can't teach stuff like that. You can, yeah. you can work really hard to keep people healthy. You can't teach speed. And so I think that'll help him out a lot as he's getting his draft evaluations this year. Um, yeah. That's going to be interesting, you know, and I, I would, as much as I think we would all love to see Mike playing for TCU again, I think most, most TCU fans want to see him go get paid. So hopefully that, that his size doesn't hold him back. And, you know, we've seen smaller guys be successful in the league recently with the other Isaiah Thomas and, and guys kind of in that mold. And at the end of the day, if you can score, you can handle the ball and you have that kind of elite athleticism, then, then there's going to be some team one and it only takes one that's going to want to take a chance on you. Um, let's transition from basketball, the season that ended to the season that's just beginning. It yes. is spring football in Fort Worth, Jamie. Um, there is a lot like this is kind of the prove it season for Sunny Dykes. I mean, what happened? We all know what happened last season. I am happy to relive that over and over and over again up until a certain point um, on the last game. But I mean, obviously, <laughs> just an absolutely magical run for Sunny Dykes, for Max Duggan, for TCU football as a whole, completely unexpected out of the blue. Um, but now you've got to replace a lot of guys. Now you're putting a lot of the guys that you recruited into important positions. Um, you're one year farther away from this being Gary Patterson's team. The expectations are mixed, I would say, around TCU football this spring, but there's going to be a lot of people paying attention to some key battles. We all know the big one, and that's going to be who takes over for Max Duggan at quarterback. But what are some other things that you're hearing about some of the other early kind of positions that are up for grabs so far for TCU? 
Yeah. So before we get into positions that are up for grabs, I just want to note about two position changes that have happened so far this spring. First of all, Namdi Obiezor, who played safety for TCU last year, has been working out at linebacker this spring so far. Love He's that. put on so, a lot of weight. And, you know, that's a that's a position where I think that fits him really well just because yeah. of what he brings to the field. He's a he loves to hit you really hard. And he's and, not the best in coverage. Like, no, he's not. Love he, love his you, coverage buddy. grades. Not great. His, his coverage grades weren't great last year. Uh, that you could say that about a couple guys in TCU yeah. secondary last year, though. But I, I think linebacker is a good fit for him. It's a good move, especially when you when you consider the fact that they're losing D winners and they had some depth issues at that position last year. Having Namdi be able to slide down a, a a slot is is really really good. Uh, and then also Garrett Hayes. Uh, an offensive lineman for the last several years on the roster has moved and is now lining up at defensive end. So they're putting some big bodies across. That's interesting. Because, you know, you you want to talk about the two places where they were pretty thin last year, linebacker and defensive end on on that side of the football were were thin. They had some incredible talent at the top of that depth chart, but there wasn't a lot as far as bodies are concerned behind those starting line, uh, starting guys. And so those are two things to kind of keep an eye on. But I think, for me, two of the biggest position battles to pay attention to are actually on the offensive side of the football. So starting at running back with Trey Sanders coming in, the transfer from Alabama, um, I, I think right now, if you look at the way the roster is constructed, he's got a really good chance to be kind of the Kendra Miller feature back of this also, thing next year. Also, if you look at Trey Sanders... Yeah, so if you guys have that ever dude seen looks different. <laughs> if you've ever seen that picture, I think it's Derek Han- Derek Henry standing mm-hmm. next to um oh the other Alabama running back. Anyways, yeah. Derek Henry looks like Megatron next to a mm-hmm. very good Alabama Heisman winning running back. And that is Trey Sanders standing next to pretty much everyone else on TCU's mm-hmm. roster at this point. He is a big dude. I was uh, I had a chance to talk to the coaches, I, I haven't talked to them in a couple of weeks, but because uh, I've been out of town and stuff, but they are very, very excited about Trey Sanders. Yeah. If, if you very want to know what a, what a five star recruit to Alabama looks like, like just look at just Google. Trey Sanders. Yeah. And then, and then throw him at TCU based on what TCU normally recruits. And yeah, it's a, it is a, I saw the first picture um, from one of the videos from like the first spring practice. And I was like, that's a dude. He's a big, a dude. big guy. Um, but, you know, I mean, Trent Battle's back there as well. We we saw a lot from him last year. It seemed like every time Trent Battle was on the field, he was running a wheel route and he was yep. catching a pass. Yep. Nobody picked up on that in 15 football games that TCU yep. played. So maybe they'll just continue to ignore that fact moving into 2023. Corey Wren was dealing with an injury last year for most of the season. So we didn't see a ton of him until late in the season. The Florida State transfer is more of a speedster. He's going to be probably a lot of, he's going to have a lot of responsibility, I think, in the return game as well with Darius Davis moving on to the next level. And then Amani Bailey as well as another guy who I'm excited to see more from in 2023. Just the burst that we saw from him in, yeah. in, in the middle of last season was really impressive. So there's some depth there at running back that I think will will benefit TCU as they try to replace that production they're losing from Kendra Miller and Amari DiMercato. Well, and if Sanders is healthy and, and you can get out of Imani Bailey what you expect to, then you have a, a real kind of a thunder and lightning type package that you can throw back there. And Sanders has some some speed too. It's, this is not a slow guy whatsoever, but just the way that he's going to be able to hit the holes like Kendra did and have that breakaway speed. And then and Imani Bailey, we saw him shake loose a couple of times and do some really impressive things. So I like the makeup of that group as a whole. I think they're really interesting. We'll see if, if there's going to be a Kendra Miller level talent back there. We're putting a lot on Trey Sanders 
Rivers, who has dealt with a ton of injuries, some pretty serious ones during his time at Alabama. But if he returns close to form, he has a chance to be a really elite level running back in the Sunday night system. Um, and very, very good for TCU football. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. I think wide receiver is the other big one because you're yeah. losing uh, a potential first round pick in Quentin Johnston, who's going to the league. Um, and you've got a lot of guys behind him who you don't really know a ton about outside of Savion Williams, who we've seen uh, last year really was the first opportunity we had to see more from him than we've had um, at any point in his last three years because of injuries. And so that was really nice to see him stay healthy for the bulk of a season uh, and, and contribute the way that he did. In my mind, he's probably the first guy that you need to think of when you think of TCU wide receivers in 2023. The next one would be Jordan Hudson. Uh, the yeah. freshman that came onto the scene last year, scored a couple touchdowns, looked really, really good in limited time. Um, those two guys are a really good foundation, I think, for this wide receivers room moving forward. Um, and then you've got some of those other guys that – uh, you know, are going to be working their way in as well. Cordell Russell also is getting on campus. Uh, the the big name recruit for this recruiting class, but John Paul Richardson's here, the transfer from Oklahoma State. Um, Major Everhart, who was a running back in high school, is now transitioned over to wide receiver as well. So there, I mean, there there's a lot of talent on this roster. But none of them have really had a lot of opportunity simply because Quentin, Darius Davis, uh, you know, some of these other guys that uh, have just been around for forever have, have been taking up those snaps. So I'm very excited to see, too, um, Jack Besh, who is the LSU tight end transfer who's listed on the roster as a wide receiver. I don't really you know, that that's he's he's that six foot two, two fifteen. So he's a little light for a tight end. Um but he's a guy who, I mean, as a freshman, he led LSU in receiving yards and in receptions. Uh, so we know that he's got talent. Then Chip Kelly got in there last year. His role diminished pretty significantly because of what they wanted to do on offense. So there's a lot of talent on this roster. I haven't even mentioned JoJo Earl. I haven't yeah. even mentioned the Central Florida transferred uh, Jalen Robinson. I haven't even mentioned DJ Allen, yeah. who was banged up for most of last year in a walking boot, who could easily be the best receiver on this team, right? I mean, if there's one position where I am confident in the depth that they've got, it is wide receiver. Well, and then you could also look too at the fact that Jared Wiley returns and we saw him when he was utilized as a pass catcher, you know, he's so effective and so hard to cover because of his size and athleticism. Mm -hmm. uh, there are plenty of options. We'll see who can get him the ball. I mean, that's, yes. that's always going to be the question, right? But yeah, I mean, the, the talent and the depth of talent, I think at the wide receiver position is is something that's really exciting and, and to look forward to, especially we saw what this offense can do as far as just being able to open things up and, and find ways to get guys open, you know, with a, with a route tree that has more than two branches. It, it's, it's a pretty nice thing to see for a TC offense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, you know, when you just look at the overall kind of roster construction, Sonny Dykes has done two things incredibly well since stepping on campus. And, and this is what TCU fans wanted when they were looking for a new head coach. They wanted someone who, who cared about, recruiting texas mm -hmm. and they who cared about recruiting dfw specifically and he's done that masterfully so far and they they wanted someone who was really going to be aggressive in the transfer portal mm -hmm. and sunny dice has done both of those things 
very, very well so far in his tenure. We, we obviously know the contributions of guys like Josh Newton from the transfer portal last year, Mark Perry, Amani Bailey, even right. Some of these guys that, that transferred in Alana Lee who played every game at center. Um, and now we have another opportunity to see some of these new transfers coming in. Tommy Brockermeyer, the Alabama transfer, Jojo Earl, the, the three headed monster there's, from Alabama. There's a hyperloop between right? DFW and Tuscaloosa. Who knew? It's, you love it, right? You know, Trey Sanders, Jojo Earl, Tommy Brockermeyer, all coming in, hopefully going to be able to contribute at a high level at their positions. You've got, um, Jared Wiley coming back, who was the Texas transfer, John Paul Richardson and Jack Besh, who I've already mentioned, Jalen Robinson coming in, those three wide receivers that are going to be contributing, hopefully, as well. You get um, Terrence Cooks back from injury, hopefully at linebacker, yep. who mm-hmm. another Texas transfer is a guy that I think everyone was really excited to see before he got dinged up. Uh, they, yeah. There's, yeah, they're, they've done a really good job of kind of filling the holes in their roster for both the offensive and the defensive systems with guys out of the portal while still managing mm-hmm. to maintain their own. Uh, you mentioned Jordan Hudson earlier who flirted with the portal kind of right after the national championship game. And they were able to kind of get him out of, of there and to stay in Fort Worth. If you can keep your top talent, the guys that you're recruiting and then kind of fill the gaps with experienced guys from other places. Uh, that's, that's the recipe to success in today's college football. Yeah. You know, university of Florida transfer Avery Helm is another one that we haven't mentioned yeah. yet. A cornerback yeah. who Big is going to come corner. in and, and compete to uh, kind of fill the void that is left by Travis Hodges Tomlinson. Um, which is a, no small void yeah. at all. He he will be a, a big part of of that, as will um, Channing Canada, who is a JUCO transfer coming in, mm-hmm. uh, number one JUCO cornerback in the country, landed at TCU. So that's another big name to remember if you're talking about transfers. Um, and then also um, another guy who I think maybe kind of went under the radar, but is is a big addition just because of the losses. Um, Willis Patrick, the mm-hmm. um, Jackson, Jackson State, State offensive lineman who is going to come in and hopefully find his way into a starting role. Because I, I think when you talk about TCU football in 2023, a lot of people are going to start with who's playing quarterback. But TCU is also replacing all three starting interior yeah. linemen. Um, and that's going to be, in my opinion, the biggest thing that they have to figure out. If they can't figure out how to block or Chandler Morris or Josh Hoover or whatever transfer potentially comes in, then then, then the offense isn't going to be nearly as efficient or effective as it was in 2022. Yeah, I agree. And I think that Willis Patrick was so heavily pursued by power five programs that it's obvious um, that that he he's going to be a good get. If, if Brockermeyer can get healthy, he's another guy that, you know, could have been a starter at, at Alabama long-term. And then they also got uh, Arizona state transfer on the offensive line. Um, oh God, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Ezra Dotson, Oyetade? He was here last year. He was he here was last here. year. Okay. He okay. transferred he in from Arizona play. State last okay. season. He okay. was uh, he was the backup center. Okay. That's why we didn't see him so, play because Alon Ali Alon was, did yeah. what Alon did. Yeah. And so yeah, Ezra's Ezra's uh he's a shorter guy. He's um very athletic though, mobile, good footwork. Um, and I you know, he's one of those kids who I think uh, you know, now that he's had a year with AJ Ricker and mm-hmm. with Kaz Kazadi. Uh, you know, those two guys could probably turn him into a real dude. Um, So I'm excited to see what Ezra, uh, in my estimation at this point in time, he's kind of sliding in at center. Um, And then you're, you're really trying to focus on those two guards. So you got, you got Tommy Brockermeyer coming in, you've got Willis Patrick coming in. Maybe those are your two guys who slide into the starting guard spots. Um, And then you've got your two returning tackles and Brandon Coleman and Andrew Coker. So, um, you know, that's uh, offensive line is going to be something to watch 
for sure. sure. Um, but they've got some guys in there that I think are pretty capable of, of, of carrying that load. Yeah. It's going to be really fun to see too, just what another year and that strength and conditioning system does um, just another year. And that system does how much more natural these guys kind of pick up on things, especially defensively, because we saw towards the end of the, the season, as that defense really started clicking, just how good they could be. Um, and you, you've you got a, another year of Joe Gillespie getting to kind of install that to where you aren't starting, you know, behind the eight ball as far as the playbook, but hopefully it's a little more instinctual for them. Um, it's going to be fun. I mean, this is the fun time of year. Everybody has hopes and dreams. Um, you know, TCU's in a place we've never, ever been before right. coming off of playing in the national championship and, but also competing in a big 12 that we've never seen before. And, and what this new look conference is going to look like the last year of Texas and Oklahoma. Um, can the frogs make another run to the big 12 championship game um, and, and maybe actually, you know, take home the win in that regard. Um, speaking of teams competing for big 12 championships, the segue mm. is so we're so good look, at, you know, we've been doing look. this for so long. It's just, it's, it's so <sighs> the segues, the segues they so make good. themselves at this point. They really do. Uh, TC baseball defending big 12 champions uh, started off at, you know, at globe life looking like world B by taking down Vanderbilt um, and, uh, you know, losing only only to Missouri that weekend after a couple a couple of top 10 wins there. Then came back to earth. Really tough series up in Norman against a not very good Oklahoma team. I think that people started kind of getting concerned about both the starting pitching and the offense, which really got stifled um, up, up in Norman. The best remedy for a struggling baseball team is Kansas. Kansas. Kansas and boy howdy did TCU baseball turn it on this weekend um, and really in their two midweek games as well just mm -hmm. an absolute dominating effort from TCU offense and starting pitching um, I want to touch on to, on Sunday starters recording the Sunday afternoon um, Cam Brown is a guy who has dealt with a lot in his time at TCU he's dealt with injuries he's dealt with mental kind of just like the mental game of baseball he's the dude that if you can get him through the first inning he's probably going to retire 15 straight but the last two starts that he's had, he's started really, really strong and shown kind of the stuff that makes him special, that makes him a potential Friday night guy um, in a rotation uh, and just was absolutely exceptional against Kansas um, on Sunday. Had only given up one hit through like the first seven innings. CCU, you know, ran away with this one. Mercy rolled him uh, after putting up 18 on Saturday as well. So, uh, you know, someone who's gotten to see a lot more TCU baseball in person, um, you know, is this team kind of where you expected? them to be at this point in the season is there anything that that they need to kind of sharpen before they get into the meat of the big 12 schedule it's a good question because i think that from a culture perspective when you look at where this team was at the beginning of the season kirk sarlos was really really satisfied yeah. with the guys that he brought in from the transfer portal with this freshman class which in my estimation has I've watched a lot of college baseball this, this season so far, and they've got to be one yeah. of the best freshman classes that are performing on the field right now in the entire country. When you talk about Anthony Silva and Carson Bowen, what they're, what they're doing at, at shortstop and catcher respectively. When you talk about some of these arms, Cole Klecker is Cole a Kleckers, dude. Yeah. He's an absolute dude. His slider is just absolutely foolish. Nobody that's 18 years old no. should be able to throw an 88 mile an hour slider with that much vertical break on it. It's freaking stupid. Um, but Luis, Luis Rodriguez, um, Chase Hoover, just all of these freshman arms that have come in and, and performed and really not blinked. Ben Abelt is another one. Um, and that's been really good for this team because one of my biggest questions coming into the season was returning production. Because as uh, you know, that's always a really good estimator for how good a team is going to perform 
a following season. And the reality is, is that TCU lost 67% of their starts from a season ago and 71% of their innings pitched from a season ago with all of the guys that left for the draft or graduated. And that was a big question mark. These freshmen have come in and done a really good job of kind of answering that and, and carrying a significant load for this pitching staff. All that to say, I still think that TCU has better baseball to play than what they've done so far mm -hmm. this year. I mean, they're 15 and nine. They're on a five game winning streak right now, which is really nice, but you also dropped a game to Missouri that you probably shouldn't have to open the season. You've lost two weekend series now to Florida state and Oklahoma that you probably shouldn't have lost. You've lost a midweek game to UT Arlington. You, you know, you've, you've got it handed to you a little bit at Texas state midweek last week. So uh, there are some things that are about, that I've seen about this team that are just inconsistent at this point, especially when it comes to hitting. And, and you know, they just, that's hard to say coming off of a weekend where they just scored 40 yeah. runs, but we saw this, to start the, the season two where they scored, I believe it was 49 or 39 runs in a weekend. And then they scored like 10 over their next five games. And so where, where do we see this consistency start to come into play, especially at the plate that's going to really determine how far this team can go. Uh, especially when you're relying on younger guys and transfers to, to provide you with some of that production. Now I will say this, the transfers and the freshmen have probably been some of the best hitters on the team so yeah. far this season between Austin Davis and Trey Richardson and Carson Bowen. I mean, those it's hard to, it's hard to find three guys who are hitting the ball better right now. Cole Fontenelle is another one who's played in 20 games. He's hitting the cover off the ball right now too. Um, but then you start to look at some of these other guys who you were hoping to rely on a little bit, specifically Braden Taylor, David Bishop, Elijah Nunez, and they aren't hitting at the same clip. And there are some questions, you know, obviously with TJ Bruce coming in, new head coach, Bill Moziello taking the head coaching job at Ohio State. Uh, there's a transition period that takes place for hitters that are working with an old coach and then all of a sudden a new coach comes in. But you could say the same thing about these freshmen and these transfers. I wonder if there's something else there that is going on with those three guys specifically. Um, I heard some rumblings about some things that I don't really want to give legs to quite yet. Um, just about their approach at the plate and, and some other things that are going on. Um, but what I do know is that all three of those guys have the raw talent to really figure it out. And when they do, if they can match what these transfers and freshmen are doing, this is going to be one of the best lineups in the country. And when you get the pitching that you've gotten from Cam Brown, from Ryan Vanderhey, from Cole Klecker, that is all that you need to make a really deep run. Um, but have we seen TCU's best baseball yet? We've seen glimpses of it. Yes but we have not seen the consistency that I expected to see from this team so far this season. And I mean, we're what, 24 games in now. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, baseball players are some of the most stubborn athletes in all of sports. Right. And so and there are some of the most superstitious as well. And so, yeah, I can imagine that completely changing the offensive system under TJ Bruce, who does some things a little bit similar to Moziello, but also has a very different approach in a lot of ways as well. Um, I'm sure that those guys need a little, they need to see the results in order to buy into the system. Right. And you're not mm -hmm. going to see the results if you don't buy into the system. So you got to hope that, that, you know, I, I think uh, uh, Sarlus made a comment um, after the game today about, you know, not worrying about what's going on with yourself. Um, I, I saw Charles Baggerly tweeted this, not worrying much about what's going on with yourself at, at each plate appearance, but focusing on what's going to drive the team and being willing to mm -hmm. do those things for the team. And so kind of with what you're alluding to and what we heard from Sarlus after the game, 
if you're if you're paying attention, you can probably put two and two together a little bit. Um, you brought up Braden Taylor coming in uh, or after today's game, he only has five hits in Big Twelve play. Four of them are home runs. Um, teams mm-hmm. are obviously pitching away from him. They're not giving him a ton of fastballs. He's gotten a steady diet of off-speed pitches, um, and they're they're really trying not to give him anything to hit. When he gets a hold of one, he's sending it over the fence. But is there cause for concern, or is there enough help around him right now to where him slumping kind of coming into Big 12 play shouldn't be holding TCU back too much? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's going to be holding TCU back too much right now. But ultimately, he's one of those guys where he can change the makeup of an entire lineup. He can change the makeup of an entire game plan for opposing coaches and pitchers. And you need Braden Taylor hitting at the at the clip we've seen him hitting at for the last two years if you want this team to do the things that you hope they can do this year. So I think that with him, what I've noticed is, first of all, he's seeing a lot more left-handed pitching this year than he has in the past two seasons. And yeah. lefty-on-lefty matchups are just challenging for left-handed hitters. So that's one thing to consider. You're right. He's not seeing as many fastballs as he normally does. They are pitching away from him a little bit. And... um you know, ultimately, I, I think what it comes down to is, okay, now you've seen pitchers adjust. You've had a book on you for two years. What's your adjustment going to be so that you are the, you know, golden spikes watch list guy yeah. everybody expected you to be coming into this year? And I will say with Braden Taylor, too, it's not just his hitting that has been a little bit concerning to me this year. I mean, his fielding has... I mean, he's made the flashy plays. He's made some really incredible plays, but he also, I mean, he's, he's struggled at certain times this year fielding. He's already got five errors, Mm. right? He only had eight all of last season. And, you know, when, when you get down to it, if you're not hitting, please produce in the field. And, and now he's still hitting home runs. He's still making great plays. Like I'm not at the point. And I probably will never be at the point where I'm talking about, oh my God, what do we do with Braden Taylor? Braden Taylor's going to figure it out. He just hasn't yet this year. And so that's going to be really good to see when he does get that going, how that impacts the rest of the lineup. Well, the infield as a whole has struggled defensively um, early this year. And I, that is a lot of new pieces too. There's, there's got, you got to develop some chemistry. I mean, you really only have one guy starting on in uh, in the infield that started a season ago for TCU. So that mm-hmm. I think that makes a little bit of sense. Uh, big opportunity this weekend. You've got to go to Lubbock. Uh, Texas Tech has been kind of similar to TCU. They haven't consistently looked like one of the elite teams in the conference, but they've certainly showed when they're playing um, at the level they're capable of that they can win the whole thing. Uh, real prove it weekend, I think, for the Horned Frogs out in Lubbock. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is, I mean, if you're Texas Tech and you're looking around the Big 12 right now, you've got to feel pretty comfortable with your position among things. I mean, Texas has struggled. Oklahoma State has struggled. TCU has struggled. And those were really kind of who you were expecting to, to compete with for the title. Um, and everybody knows that when you go out to Lubbock for a weekend series, there are going to be a lot of home runs hit. Yeah. Um, we saw Elijah Nunez last year mm-hmm. hit a home run there and then think he was, you know, yeah, you know, Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa or somebody tried to swing for the fences back at Lupton. And that's just not yeah, how Lupton not plays. And, and so, you know, you've got, you've got, um, Oh my God. Sorry. You've got um, a, a weekend series coming up. That's not only crucial for big 12 standings, but it's, it, it's an opportunity for your pitching to step up and, and do what they've been doing for the bulk of the year. And it's an opportunity for your hitters to maybe gain a little bit of confidence. 
good confidence, not I'm going to hit five home runs every time yeah. I'm out confidence, but put some runs up on the board. Lubbock's a place where you can do that. The wind's always blowing out. And if this team is hitting like we know they can hit, then they've got a really good chance to take this series for from sure. Texas Tech. They obviously swept that series last year and Tech's looking to maybe get them back. But anything can happen. And this is a talented baseball club. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. And, and now that you're getting to the real meat of the Big 12 schedule, um, you know, we'll get an opportunity to see, is this a team that is competing for a Big 12 championship and maybe competing to get back to Omaha for, for the first time in several years? Or is this another team that, that you know, it needs a little bit more time to season and develop here with all of this young talent? So, um, but it, hey, always a great time to be out at Lumpton watching TCU baseball. The weather's been really nice in North Texas. So uh, certainly get out there and give them some support. All right. So Melissa, I think we're, we're getting close to maybe wrapping up this first episode of Frogs Insider. Again, shout out to the folks over at Dave Campbell Sexist Football for their support of us and for their invitation to come and be a part of this Republic of Football Network. Obviously, we have not only exclusively talked about football here on this show, we won't exclusively talk about football on this show, but... We're excited to be a part of Dave Campbell's Texas football nonetheless, but I watched you as we got the show going type in our run sheet beach volleyball uh, with several exclamation points behind it. So why don't you go ahead and lead us into that conversation about, about, the beach frogs. Yeah. So um, I also need to, before we get to the beach frogs, I also need to shout out uh, TCU Equestrian, who was runner up at the Big 12 championship, fell to national powerhouse, Oklahoma State, um, but will be competing um, for a national championship here um, in, in the next uh, week or so. Pretty cool. That program has been really, really solid. One of the underappreciated programs on campus. Um but uh, coach of the year comes from TCU, three, three of the uh, four, uh, you know, uh, players I don't know what you call them riders of the year at their position um there's a lot of, of really cool things happening there um and and that does kind of drive us into beach volleyball TC do you know JB who the number one ranked program in collegiate beach volleyball is right now I mean I know that because I saw the graphic tweeted out so yeah TCU. yeah it, it is TCU and, and I don't know if a lot of people realize that TCU has the number one ranked anything um but to, to be number one in volleyball uh, they started 20 and 0 all they do is win legitimately. Uh, they have ranked wins over Georgia State, Florida State, LSU twice, USC, one of the elite programs in collegiate beach volleyball. And just this weekend, uh, they knocked off uh, number nine, Cal, number 15, FIU, and number six, wannabe TCU, Grand Canyon. Um, this team has been absolutely dominant. Uh, they were one of, um, uh, eight teams to make the national championship tournament last year. They look like they're on pace to do it again and maybe actually come home with the title. Uh, this is one of the youngest athletic teams on TCU's campus, one of the newest, um, and it has been an absolute powerhouse really since the get-go. It's very exciting to see TCU with beach volleyball. It's a great atmosphere down at the sand courts on campus um, to go along to with the indoor volleyball program coming off of their uh, run in the NCAA tournament. Once again, all TCU does is win things. Uh, there's a lot to be excited about um, on the women's side as well as the men's side. Uh, we have a new women's basketball coach as well, which is very exciting. He comes from my neck of the woods. He's been at Sac State the last two seasons. Um, so, yeah, I just, just kind of want to give a shout out to a program that is just absolutely destroying people in the name of TCU. Always a good thing to see. It is. It is always a good thing to see. Uh, those kids are phenomenal at their craft. Uh, big, big, big shout out to Hector Gutierrez and his coaching staff 
for all that they've been able to do um, with that team. And, you know, I had a chance to talk to him last year a little bit. And one of the things that really struck me about him was he spent a lot of time talking about TC's administration and how thankful he was for them because it, it, it can't be easy to run a dominant beach volleyball program from a very landlocked position yeah. because you have to travel so frequently and so far away. And so, you know, when he was kind of putting this plan in front of Jeremiah Donati in the athletic department for how they were going to be successful and how they were going to compete at this level, he was really grateful that Donati um, signed off and said, yeah, we get it. You're going to have to travel to California a lot. You're going to have to travel to Florida a lot. You're going to travel to Hawaii. You're going to host some teams here, but you're going to have to get on planes more frequently than non-revenue sports do. Um, and you're going to have to, to fly pretty far. And so the fact that TCU's athletic department was willing to support a program like beach volleyball is a really nice indicator of kind of the general support for all of the, the athletics programs that Jeremiah, Jeremiah Donati has cult- cultivated during his time as athletic director. And that's why we're seeing beach volleyball have a number one ranking, equestrian have a number one ranking, air rifle have a number one ranking, yeah. you know, baseball, football, basketball consistently in the top 25, bringing in a guy like Mark Campbell to coach the women's basketball team to get them to the level that he expects them to be at. You know, uh, the investment um, into the athletic programs individually starts with an athletic director who cares equally about every single mm-hmm. program. And it's pretty clear at this point in his tenure that Tanati does that. I'm telling you, if TCU had more students that could support another handful of sports, we'd be coming for that director's cup championship, Texas and Stanford. I promise. I want, I, it's never going to happen. I want softball so bad. Yeah, I do too. At TCU. College I softball want it so bad. So freaking fun. Mm-hmm. It it's is. So I, I want it so bad, but just the facility costs and everything up front. That's, that's pretty much a non-starter, I think at this point, but yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Well, and it, yeah. So yeah, I just, I just want to piggyback off of what you said though. And, and it is really cool to see TCU investing across the board in athletics. Um, You know, it's, it's always fun to kind of give schools a hard time for their maybe their chess championships or their meat smoking championships, but damn it. The minute the TCU starts competing for rifle national championships and equestrian and beach volleyball, I am all in on just supporting anybody that, that sports that TCU across their chest. Um, it's, it's really great to see so many opportunities for student athletes to not just compete for TCU, but to compete at a really high level. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, and I think with that, we're going to wrap up this first episode of frogs insider, part of Dave Campbell's Texas football Republic of football network. For Melissa Trebowasser, I am Jamie Plunkett. Again, you can watch this, find this wherever you want. As far as podcasts are concerned, go to patreon.com slash frogsinsider for a little bit of our writing. We're just asking for three bucks a month to help cover the costs of doing this um, because we love doing this and we love kind of building the communities that we've built over the last few years of doing so so yeah i appreciate uh, we appreciate yeah. every i'll speak for you and say we appreciate everybody that's kind of followed this journey of, of you and i from uh multiple stops along the way here um mm-hmm. but we've been man, we've been doing this for like 10 years it's been we, we've outlasted a, a lot of people on the tcu beat and we'll outlast <laughs> a couple more i feel probably, so probably. um you know and we'll have some folks i think joining us on this journey at frogs insider along the way as well so keep an eye out for that we've got a lot of fun stuff in store for y'all here. But again, thanks for listening. um, And we will see you next time.